You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. A bed and breakfast owner in Blaine, Washington is facing some serious charges tonight, accused of helping people enter Canada illegally. His property is located on the U.S. side of Zero Avenue. And when a Global News crew went there to check it out, our cameras caught something we never expected. Paul Johnson has more. Chris, the best way to get your head around this story is take a look at the border situation out here in South Surrey. This is Zero Avenue here, just on the other side of this where the grass begins. That's the United States. No border wall, no fence, nothing like that here. Now take a look at this video that we shot just this afternoon. And here you see a family, suitcases in hand, crossing what appears to be Robert Boulay's property and clearly entering Canada illegally. They were picked up by the police pretty quickly after that. Now Robert Boulay, the man who's been charged with this, does not fit the profile of somebody who you would expect would be involved with this. He's well known as a businessman in Blaine. He's been part of a lot of the organizations down there promoting economic development and tourism. And as far as we can tell, he's considered to be an upstanding citizen. He's a very good friend of mine. I've probably known him for about 10 years. He's a very prominent individual in Blaine. He's basically a builder of our community, and he was actually awarded by the city council of Blaine last year over the summer, recognition of one of the, I think, Blaine Builder Awards. So he's very well known in the city of Blaine. Robert Belay is due to be in Surrey Provincial Court tomorrow, and you can expect that a lot is going to be made of the fact that the guy who owns the Smugglers Inn in Blaine has now been charged with allegedly trying to help people to sneak into Canada. Chris? All right, thanks, Paul. The woman shot in a brazen daylight shooting in North Vancouver last week has now died. I hit confirming this morning, 32-year-old Anita Nguyen has now passed away. Investigators say she drove her Volkswagen Passat to her workplace in the 1100 block of Lonsdale Avenue where the shooting took place. They're now appealing for surveillance or dash cam footage from the area between 9 a.m. and noon April 2nd. Police say they have no reason to believe the shooting was related to drugs or gangs. Ever tried getting your hands on hot concert tickets only to find out the bots bought them before you could? It's not only frustrating, it often leads to inflated prices. But now the province is introducing legislation to ban the bots. Grace Key explains how it's supposed to work. Everything I ever lost. You two in 2017 sold out in minutes. Welcome to the hotel. Same as the Eagles and any other major concert. But now the provincial government is introducing legislation that includes banning bots, a software that snatches up mass tickets, reselling them at exorbitant prices. It's not going to be going about getting the individual in the Cayman Islands or in Russia. It's about uh, ticket sellers such as Ticketmaster, for example, who monitor and have, the, and have the ability to detect bots being able to cancel transactions. Bots is passe. That was four or five years ago. Broker Kingsley Bailey of Vancouver Tickets says the real issue is transparency, knowing how many tickets are available to the public and how many are being held for pre-sales or being repackaged on secondary sites. A $100 Jackson Brown ticket, for instance, gets jacked up to $400 and includes a bag, CDs, coffee mug and bamboo utensils. 
if you go on sale for an on sale in minutes and it's sold out and there's only 30% of the available tickets available, then we've got a real manipulation problem. Mm -hmm. The promoter's manipulating the marketplace into thinking that there's no available tickets. The bill also calls for clear disclosure of prices, guarantees refunds by secondary sellers, requires resellers to disclose their secondary sellers, and allows consumers to take civil action. But it doesn't put a cap on the resale price of tickets. The problem with, with, with that is one, uh, is around enforcement. The second is the potential driving tickets into uh, the, uh, into the black market. Uh, and so, again, we've put in forward legislation that we believe will work. If passed, the government hopes these changes will provide a level playing field the next time you want to see a concert. Grace Key, Global News. Well, the NHL draft lottery took place just a short time ago in Toronto. The Canucks finding out their fate for the draft this June. A lot of hope going into this. Squire Barnes is here now to talk about how they did and uh, ooh, not quite as well as many had hoped. Well, I mean, their chances of finishing first in this draft lottery were only about 5%. Well, they were 5%, which wasn't great. And when the Canucks have had a better chance of winning the draft lottery, they, of course, have not. They've kind of had the same lottery luck as most people in this country. So here's how it went down. The Canucks, just I should say, they were ninth worst in the NHL. So they could either go one, two, three, or they could drop from nine to 10, 11, or 12. Here's what happened. The number 10 overall selection in the 2019 NHL draft belongs to the Vancouver Canucks. So Jim Benning dropped from ninth to 10th. And the... Uh, team that did win it was the New Jersey Devils, who had the first pick a couple of years ago. Rangers, Chicago was the one that really got lucky. It moved way up to the number three position. So there you go. Canucks will pick 10th, and the uh, draft will be in Vancouver. What are your thoughts about the fairness of this system? Well, I mean, it's... And the compli... <laughs> well, it is a complicated system. Well, the feeling is it's more fair than the old way, which was the team that finishes last gets first, the team that finishes second last gets second, because... The feeling was some teams might start to tank on purpose right. to get the first pick overall. So they feel this is a bit better. The worst you can drop is three spots down. So, for example, Colorado had the worst night. I mean, Canuck fans may hate it, but Colorado went from number one to number four. So Interesting to watch those guys try to read what their, what their thoughts yeah. are at that moment. <laughs> All right. Thanks very much, Squire. We'll talk to you uh, more in a bit. Yes. Thanks, Squire. All right. Metro Vancouver mayors are calling on Ottawa for more money for transit. The Mayor's Council on Regional Transportation wants the federal government to pay for a congestion relief fund with predictable annual funding. Nadia Stewart explains why mayors say they need it and why it'll work better for commuters. It is a frustrating reality for many commuters across the region. Cities keep growing, so there's more people always coming into town and yeah a better transit system would be better. They need to run the SkyTrain all the way to UBC. You know, there's so much traffic on the Broadway corridor. Crippling congestion. The mayor's council says there is a cure. What we are calling for is stable, secure funding on an annual basis to all urban municipalities in, uh, across the country. The council joins the Federation of Canadian Municipalities in their pre-election call for stable federal money, $3.4 billion annually beginning in 2028 in a national congestion relief fund, which means TransLink would see an estimated $375 million. We know uh, a significant portion of the mayor's 10-year plan has been funded 
but in a few years that funding will come to a stop. If we fail to make progress, our region will see more congestion and our roads and our transit system will make life worse for people. This SFU professor says it could also make things worse for the economy. When we look at the amount of time and resources that are wasted in terms of people sitting in traffic, as well as, I should add, goods sitting in traffic, that's a considerable economic friction. The province says it is committed to working with the mayors. We brought forward 40% of the capital funding for phase two, and we're going to continue to work with the mayors in order to deliver on transit. It's a number one priority for our government. But the council says the days of project-to-project funding needs to end, so more of these major projects can move ahead. Now to get to Global News. Well, the federal government is introducing legislation aimed at allowing beer, wine and spirits to move a little more freely across provincial borders. Richard Zussman tells us what it could mean for consumers here if B.C. gets on board. Craft breweries like this across British Columbia have a pretty easy time getting their products into fridges here in British Columbia. The problem is when they try to ship it across provincial boundaries. That may change starting today. The federal government putting in legislation to get rid of those archaic rules that ban the shipment of alcohol across provincial borders, that spirits, beer and wine. In terms of export markets for our craft beers, for wines, for distilled products, uh, it could be very good news for British Columbians. And uh, I think it's also good news for British Columbians that want to drink uh, wine from Ontario or from Nova Scotia or craft beer from Alberta or somewhere else. One of the issues is around price. Taxation levels are much lower in Alberta than British Columbia, for example. David Eby says what needs to be done is a negotiation around how those taxes will be covered. This will be uh, the beginning of a discussion between provinces about um, taxes that are imposed. Uh, say if a BC wine is shipped uh, to Ontario, for example, what taxes Ontario would impose on that when it arrives there. Provinces control the pricing and I can tell you that if they come up with a revenue sharing agreement and there actually is a national framework for liquor, uh, they will be managing the price of that, and I do not expect it to go down. While it may not be cheaper, at least there'll be greater access. British Columbians may soon be able to order their favorite beer from Ontario or their favorite spirit from Alberta. The issue is how much it will cost in both shipping and taxes. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Well, cooperation between provinces seems a long way off right now with the latest threat from Alberta Premier hopeful Jason Kenney. He says if he's elected, his first priority is to pass a law to restrict the flow of oil products to B.C. in retaliation for B.C.'s opposition to the Kinder Morgan pipeline. But as Keith Baldry reports, B.C. Attorney General David Eby already has a legal team in place should Kenney win. It's not often that the outcome of an Alberta provincial election could have a direct bearing on British Columbia, but there is the definite potential for that happening later this month. Within an hour of being sworn in, we will hold a cabinet meeting, and the first item on the agenda will be to proclaim into law Bill 12, the turn off the taps legislation. United Conservative leader Jason Kenney, who is ahead in the polls, wants the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion built. And he views the B.C. NDP government's opposition to it as a major threat to his province. Today, uh, the gas price is down there in Vancouver, a buck sixty-seven a litre. If the New Democrats in British Columbia un- violate the Constitution 
and break the economic union of Canada by attacking our vital economic interests, a buck 67 is going to look like a bargain. But his threat to restrict the flow of oil to B.C. brought a quick response from the B.C. Attorney General, who says the province will be in a courtroom almost immediately to seek an injunction against any move Kenny makes against British Columbia. If it's necessary, we'll be in the courts to defend the interests of British Columbians, and uh, we can be in court right away to do that, uh, but we hope it's not necessary. Any successful ploy by Kenny to restrict the flow of oil will undoubtedly have an impact on the price of gas in B.C., since so much is sourced from Alberta depending on the length and severity and how much we're talking here, as much as 25 to 30 percent of all the fuel needs of, uh, of the lower mainland uh, would not be met. As for the price at the pump, Dan McTeague says the worst case scenario could make things quite expensive. You know, $1.80 to as much as uh, outside scenario, even $2 a litre could be uh, in the works. But Generally speaking, uh, it uh, really depends on who else can supply. Albertans head to the polls exactly one week from today. If Kenny emerges victorious, that province in B.C. could be in for one gigantic fight. Keith Baldry is live in Victoria right now. Keith, what other potential weapons does Jason Kenny or whoever ends up in the leadership role there, what other weapons are in the arsenal to put pressure on the B.C. government? Well, Kenny has mused a lot about doing other things, such as uh, mandatory inspections of trucks crossing over in the border into Alberta uh, under the excuse of looking, making rat inspections because Alberta has official policy of being a rat-free province. Uh, there's been talk potentially of a tourism boycott. But again, we don't know how much of this is campaign rhetoric and how much of it is going to be real. Nevertheless, he has to win the election first. That's a week ago, a week from uh, tonight. And it's interesting, he continues to single out BC, again, I think for, for campaign purposes, because the B.C. government really isn't doing that much to block the pipeline. It's just in court with a somewhat uh, obscure constitutional challenge. The real enemy to Kenny on the pipeline has to be the federal government because it owns it. But you don't see him going after Ottawa just yet. He sure got some rousing applause in Medicine Hat today. We'll see how it all shakes out <laughs> one week from yeah. now. Thanks very much, Keith. All right. Right now, though, it's an idea that's creating a lot of chatter lately, something called voluntary extinction. Supporters claim by not having children, they're cutting their carbon footprint and helping to save the planet. Aaron MacArthur has more on the argument against reproduction. Roy Sassano takes environmental stewardship seriously. He's a vegan. He doesn't travel by air. And recently, he had a vasectomy. He doesn't want to add to the population of the planet. Maybe we could just phase ourselves out by not making any new ones. Earth, now home to 7.5 billion people. The UN predicts 9 by the end of the decade. With more of us, climate change seems to have gotten worse. And it's led to a movement, voluntary human extinction. So the theory goes, we'll reduce greenhouse gases by reducing population. The planet's not a clown car. You know, that shouldn't be the game we're trying to play. The idea of overpopulation has been around since the Industrial Revolution. And as recently as the 1970s, researchers warned of a population bomb. Food supply not able to keep up. Declining death rates while the birth rate remained high. U.S. Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has even hit her Twitter followers with similar claims. There's scientific consensus that the lives of children are going to be very difficult. But environmental researchers say population isn't the only factor leading to climate change. Developing nations might have massive populations, but per capita use a fraction of the resources people in the West do. 
voluntary human extinction an extreme solution. Starting today, tomorrow, yesterday, whenever, uh, it's never a bad time to, to start uh, uh, making changes in your life or making promises uh, for the future. Not a lot of people buying into this movement, but for Roy Sassano, it's a way to talk about what most people just want to ignore. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. It's a summertime tradition, and now we know which countries will be lighting up the sky over English Bay for the Honda Celebration of Light. Taking the stage this summer will be India on July 27th, Canada July 31st, and Croatia on August 3rd. It's India and Croatia's first time participating. This will mark the 29th year of the fireworks competition. More controversy tonight after an undercover operation caught an Okanagan guide outfitter baiting black bears. The investigation included conservation officers posing as wealthy American hunters and during the operation, they actually killed a bear. Global Shelby Tom explains how the Conservation Service is defending that decision. BC conservation officials say a joint decision with their American counterparts to shoot and kill a baited black bear was made as to not jeopardize their undercover investigation. On Monday, 51-year-old hunting guide James Weens was handed $24,000 in fines and restitution after admitting to baiting a black bear with cooking grease and dog food. Weens, the owner of Vasso Creek Outfitters, pleaded guilty to three offenses under the Wildlife Act last November. I have no comment right now. Thank you. Court heard Weens was the subject of a cross-border undercover sting in May of 2016. American conservation officers hired Weens to guide them during a black bear hunt. One of the officers posing as a hunter shot and killed a black bear at one of the baited sites. An official involved in the case says there are no conservation protections of the populous black bear and not killing the animal could have blown their cover. Not shooting the bear at the time because the bear was baited in and in very close proximity would have put our undercover officer's story as experienced hunters in jeopardy and we might not have been able to bring the evidence forward as we did in the court. Meanwhile, the organization representing guide outfitters in B.C. says it encourages its members to follow all hunting regulations, which includes a ban on baiting bears. It says it supports the outcome of the court case. He was levied a hefty fine in that matter and he's going to going to pay for those. So in my opinion, justice was served. As for the status of Weens Guide Outfitters license, the Conservation Officer Service is asking the province to hold an administrative hearing to determine if he should get to keep it. In the meantime, Weens is still boasting a 100% success rate on his website for harvesting a black bear. Shelby Tom, Global News, Penticton. Torrential rain in Brazil causing flash flooding today in Rio de Janeiro. At least six people are believed to have died. This area gets an average of 95 millimeters of rain in April, but 246 millimeters fell in just nine hours overnight. The city's mayor says heavy rains could continue as well, and the government has declared a state of emergency. Schools are closed and people are being told to stay at home if they don't have to go out. Closing submissions today at the coroner's inquest into the deadly collapse of a huge stage in Toronto just hours before the band Radiohead was set to play. As Global's Shalima Maharaj reports, the inquest also heard from the frustrated father of the young man who was killed. Nearly seven years have gone by since 33-year-old Scott Johnson was crushed to death in a horrific stage collapse at Downsview Park. 
initial witness accounts. I saw the middle of the canopy of the scaffolding um, over the concert stage actually start to go in and completely collapse. The coroner's chief counsel began his delivery of closing submissions Tuesday by reiterating Johnson's death was preventable. Throughout this inquest, jurors heard from 27 witnesses and saw a number of exhibits. And now they're tasked with taking those 25 recommendations and coming up with a report. The jury heard how pickup trusses meant to withstand the weight of the roof grid were smaller than what was actually in the design of the stage, and that what was constructed was riddled with mistakes, labeled sloppy by an engineer who signed off on plans for the stage. Retired engineer Dominic Cuglieri, Optech Staging and promoter Live Nation were charged under provincial health and safety laws, but those charges were eventually stayed because it took too long for the case to go to trial. Radiohead has been outspoken in their disappointment. Drummer Philip Selway flew to Toronto to take part in the inquest. Thank the band's you. lawyers spoke on their behalf. They're pleased with the process and the attention that this is getting uh, with the hopes to implementing change in the future and uh, making this a safer industry. One of the recommendations now before the jury, having the province establish a permanent working group by December in conjunction with representatives of the live entertainment industry and the professional engineers of Ontario. Coming up with their own ideas possibly, they're looking at our ideas and uh, deciding whether to change them, whether to accept them, uh, whether to reject them. As for Ken Johnson and his family back home in England. We sort of thing that perhaps we have a monopoly on uh, sadness and that's not true of course the world is full of sadness i think the outcome here will will make changes shalima maharaj global news one day after actress felicity huffman agreed to plead guilty in the college admission scandal additional charges have been laid against the other high profile actress accused in the case Lori Lachlan, her husband and 14 other parents are now charged with money laundering conspiracy in addition to conspiracy to commit mail fraud. Lachlan and her fashion designer husband are accused of paying $500,000 to get their two daughters into the University of Southern California. The money laundering charge carries a maximum sentence of 20 years in prison and a huge fine. Now, Vancouver businessman David Sidhu is also facing charges of mail fraud and money laundering in the scandal. His next court appearance is April 18th, although he's not required to show up. Last month, Sadu pleaded not guilty to conspiracy to commit fraud. Another contentious day in Washington, D.C., as U.S. Attorney General William Barr testified before the House Judiciary Committee on the Trump-Russia investigation report. Barr says he expects to release his redacted version of the report next week, but he's rejecting demands from some Democrats that he release the full report. In his first public comment since receiving the Mueller report, Attorney General Barr said we'll see it in just a few days. Within a week, uh, I will be in a position to release the report to the public. But not every word of the nearly 400 pages written by Robert Mueller's team. Barr said that with help from Mueller, he'll black out information that would violate grand jury secrecy, reveal intelligence sources, compromise ongoing investigations, or violate the privacy of low-level people who were not charged. House Democrats warned that will erode confidence. This is what drives the public crazy when they see something like this. This is what we have to try to avoid. Barr summarized the report's bottom line conclusions on March 24th in a four-page letter prompting new questions. Did the White House see the report before you released your summarizing letter? Has the White House seen it since then? I've said what I'm going to say about the report today. 
The president's lawyers have said they have not seen the report. Some members of Mueller's team have said Barr's summary letter was misleading. But Barr disclosed today that Mueller himself was offered a chance to review that letter and declined. He also revealed that on March 5th, Mueller told him and Rod Rosenstein, the deputy attorney general, that the report would reach no conclusion on whether President Trump obstructed justice. So it was not a surprise when Barr received the report 17 days later. Surveillance video captures a terrifying close call for a daycare in Alabama. Thankfully, no one was hurt. An out-of-control 18-wheeler first slams into a pickup truck and then into the front of the Precious Seeds Learning Center in Birmingham. Luckily, everyone happened to be at the rear of the building when it happened. Five people in vehicles involved in the crash that started this were hurt. Their injuries are not life-threatening. Acura is recalling more than 350,000 SUVs around the world. The company says a manufacturing problem can allow water to get into the taillights of the MDX model, causing them to go dark. It can also affect some interior lighting. The recall mostly affects North American vehicles and covers the 2014 through 2019 models. Acura will begin notifying owners next month. In Health Matters tonight, growing controversy over a baby sleeper that's now linked to at least 32 deaths over the past decade. While parents are being warned about the Fisher-Price rock-and-play sleeper, a consumer watchdog group is demanding it be recalled. It's a product many moms thought was a lifesaver to get babies to sleep. But tonight, Evan and Keenan Overton say the Fisher-Price rock-and-play is anything but. It actually took our baby's life away. In 2017, their five-month-old Ezra died after rolling over in his rock and play. We just were devastated that this chair could have been unsafe. Now, a Consumer Reports investigation found the inclined sleeper tied to at least 32 infant deaths. Today, the American Academy of Pediatrics calling for an immediate recall. But so far, the Consumer Product Safety Commission and Fisher-Price have only issued an alert, saying not to use the product once infants are three months old or can turn over. Today, the CPSC called it a priority, but says it hasn't yet met requirements for a recall. How many deaths does it have to be in order to take that step? I think we're trying to understand what the hazard pattern is so that we can make the determination that there is or there isn't a defect. In a statement, Fisher-Price says it stands by the product's safety, saying it is essential warnings and instructions are always followed. Other countries have taken action. The Rock and Play Sleeper isn't sold in Australia after regulators there question the product's safety. In Canada, the product was reclassified from a sleeper to a soother. Here in the U.S., Consumer Reports sees it as a troubling trend of fewer recalls from the CPSC. There has been uh, more response to industry interests, perhaps, than consumer safety. In 2017, there were 10 dressers recalled after tipping dangers like this. In 2018, there were none, though Consumer Reports says dangerous dressers are still being sold. Has there been a change in the directive at all to the CPSC? Absolutely not. Uh, I've made it a priority of mine that safety is not political and nor it ever should be. Potential good news tonight for people with type 2 diabetes. A University of Alberta, Alberta study found people who ate cheese showed improved levels of blood sugar. The researchers say that suggests eating cheese doesn't make things worse and may in fact make things better in terms of cardiovascular disease or diabetes risk. 
just making a recommendation to eat less saturated fat and lumping every food that has saturated fat in it together may not really reflect the evidence. While it's unclear at this point why cheese helps stabilize insulin levels in rats, researchers say it worked for both regular and low-fat cheese. That is the news we all needed to hear today. <laughs> right after the forecast, the power pull plunge caught on video and a real brush with death. What a miraculous escape. Mm, incredible. <laughs> all right, uh, meteorologist Christy Gordon is out on this. Well, it, it's a nice afternoon, but still obviously chilly out there, Christy. Yeah, it is a little bit here by the water, and now the sun is set a bit, so it's cooled off just in the last half hour, I would say, Sophie. Earlier, I didn't have a jacket on at all, and it was spectacular. We're just at the Vancouver Rowing Club deck here. They kindly let us enjoy their view here uh, so that you could all enjoy it. It's been amazing down here. Hundreds of people running along the seawall, biking as well. It really is a nice day, and when you think about what they're dealing with back east with freezing rain and another snowstorm, we're pretty lucky here, aren't we? Let's check out the numbers for today at the airport we warmed up to 13 as a high most of the rest of the lower mainland hit 14 degrees as did Abbotsford nice hot spot for the province Lillooet at 18 degrees so these are above seasonal tomorrow that won't be the case and there were a few areas that caught a bit of winter this morning this is from 76 mile and look at this a higher elevation area just outside of Kamloops also getting some snow this morning and Denise said I was just seeding the grass yesterday well that is spring for you and we do have a chance of an isolated flurry overnight again as a band of moisture pushes down. So a caribou region, you could see some snow overnight and in the morning uh, for the south coast, we're talking about rainfall. Not a lot, 5 to 10 millimeters throughout the morning. In the afternoon, it eases off to just a chance of showers as that band moves on and sort of breaks apart. But we do have another wave in store for us on Thursday, but I'm keeping my fingers crossed for some breaks of blue sky towards the end of the day tomorrow here across the south coast. So there's Prince George and Quinnell showing you that uh, chance of flurry through the morning period, and that extends into Valmont, uh, Williams Lake as well. Slight risk of a thunderstorm through the Columbia region tomorrow afternoon. These temperatures now below seasonal, and we'll see that across the south coast for the next two days. So rain in the morning, chance of showers in the afternoon, both Wednesday and Thursday with breaks of blue sky. The nice bright spot is Friday. Maybe we'll head back here on Friday and enjoy that sunshine. I know a lot of people certainly will be taking advantage of it. Back to you guys. All right. Thanks, Christy. Great down there at the rowing club. All right. Caught on video in Tukwila, Washington. Power lines come down onto the road and onto a car. Local police have released video of a windstorm last week bringing down the power poles. It happened near the Museum of Flight and knocked out power to about 10,000 people. Miraculously, when you see the aftermath, the people in the car suffered only minor injuries. That is amazing. Wow. <laughs> you thought nice. the Canucks luck was bad. Yeah, yeah, well. Nothing well, compared to that. I mean, year after year. If it wasn't for bad year. luck, the Canucks would have no luck at all. I know. Exactly. But at least a power pole didn't fall through their car. That is true. That's true. That's that to think okay. about. Okay. Well, we are very lucky to have our 25-year man, oh, no, Squire it's Barnes, than that. here. Actually, it's longer than that. Oh, well, of course it is. But you did get... They finally sent me the pen, though. Got the golden Signifying. pen. Signifying. Yeah. You worked here for 25-plus years, and all you got was a pen? But it's I, a nice pen. It is a nice pen. It writes beautifully. 
And it never, never spells anything wrong. It's very amazing. Okay. Uh, barring a trade, the Canucks will pick 10th overall in the first round of this year's draft. Yes, it happened again. The Vancouver Canucks had the same lottery luck that pretty much all of us have. The uh, ping pong balls fell the wrong way. Although the uh, Canucks' chances of jumping in the first overall weren't great, only 5%. If they did jump in the first overall, though, they could have put Quinn Hughes and Jack Hughes together. The Canucks' chances of winning were only 5%. It would have been fun to have talented brothers around again. But New Jersey will get first crack at Jack. And this is how it shakes down now. And this, of course, will be held at Rogers Arena in June on the 21st. New Jersey gets number one like they did a couple of years ago when they took Nico Heeshear. But I bet they had taken Elias Pettersson instead. Uh, Rangers get number two. Chicago three. They got the luckiest. They move way up. Unluckiest, Colorado, who got Ottawa's pick in a trade and then fell from number one to number four. L.A. five. And there you see the Canucks at number ten. Okay. So before you let this ruin your night... Always remember, a lot of great NHL players are drafted later in the first round and in rounds after that, and some aren't even drafted at all. The Canucks' core group right now is Elias Patterson, a fifth overall pick, Quinn Hughes, a seventh overall pick, Bo Horvat, a ninth overall pick, and Brock Besser, a 23rd overall pick. The Canucks have selected 10th overall six times in their history. I think I'm right. The 10th picks have been Cody Hodgson, who was great at the start, then fizzled badly, Luke Bourdon, who was tragically killed before his career could even begin. Brad Ferentz, J.J. Daniel, who played a lot of games. Garth Butcher, who played a lot of games. And Rick Blight, who had a couple of good seasons in Vancouver. They could always trade up. As we said, the draft is June 21st and 22nd at Rogers Arena. Okay, five games without a win is enough to make any Whitecap pull his shirt over his head. But last Friday, the Whitecaps had a chance to take an early lead against the L.A. Galaxy with a penalty kick. And they blew it when Ali Adnan tried what is called a Panenka, named after Czech player from the 70s, Antonin Panenka, who invented this. When it works, it's glorious. When it doesn't, it's inglorious. And it's super embarrassing. Ali Adnan. Oh, he tried the Panenka, and it did not come off. I was very frustrated, uh, and it, it kind of stayed with me during the 90 minutes. The more the 0-0 was going on, the more I was in my head, like every say, are you kidding me that we did that, you know? There's a time and a place to get cute from the spot, but as Cap supporters witness against the Galaxy, this wasn't it. Talk about starting a match off on the wrong foot. If you ask me if I liked it, no, but we are, as a teammates, we gotta support him. And I hope for the next time he, he chooses a better way to, to take a PK. How do you decide how you're going to take a PK, if you're going to be cute like that, or if you're just going to go for the corner and hit as hard as you can? It's about momentum. I think when you have experience, when you've been scoring a lot of PKs, when you analyze the other goalkeeper, you have to feel confident enough to do that. Uh, and you need to be, at the end of the day, responsible you know, for your actions. In this case... Uh, I don't think that was the best decision at that moment of the game and the situation of the team. Uh, that happened. We need to move forward from that and learn from that too. Ibrahimovic goes for the Panenka. Ever the showman. When the subtle touch of the Panenka-style PK is executed to perfection, it's five-star showmanship, and it takes soccer-sized Panenkas to try it. More often than not, though, we'll see players go for a thundering boot to the corner 
technique that'll seldom get you in the coach's bad books. And what I told them is wrong because of our, our streak, because of the points we have, uh, because of course that you need points and you shouldn't take you should take a penalty like that when you're four games uh, in a row winning, when you're in a position that you're up three nothing and then last minute you have a penalty. Yeah, maybe it's okay. But the guy took a wrong decision. I'm with him. I'm with Ali. I, I'm against the decision he took, but I'm with him as a player, and I believe he's going to help this team a lot. Canada and Finland at the World Women's Hockey Championships. Last game before the uh, knockout round. Rebecca Johnson off the rebound. I made a 2 nothing in the first. Look at this shot by Lauren Gable. This is nice. Top corner. This is Pedersen-like. Beautiful. Sarah Nurse, whose cousin Darnell plays for the Oilers, will get this one through. So, Canada will play Germany on Thursday, and of course it looks like it's shaping up to be a Canada-U.S. gold medal final. World champion Patriots, world champion Red Sox. This is like when the Avengers come together. First game of the year at Fenway, and everything goes wrong for the Red Sox against the Blue Jays. Lourdes Gurriel Jr. driving in Randy Gritchick to make it 3-2 in the fourth. Then, a pass ball. Whoop! Danny Jansen scores. Bad start for Chris Sale. Big money, got a big money contract, and he has been dreadful. Watch this. Gurriel Jr. stealing home! Blue Jays win it by the score of 7-5 in Boston. Coming up on ET Canada, the new pop star war between Justin Bieber and Shawn Mendes. Plus previews of New Amsterdam, The Code, and Missing Link. That's coming up at 7, right after the news hour. Back to you, Chris and Sophie. Thanks, Carlos. Good pants. Get bold with the prince. <laughs> uh, a veterinarian in Prince George is looking after a truly remarkable cat right now that's making headlines around the world. The tabby went for nearly a month without food or water before she was found in a cargo container in Prince George. Hmm. John Hua has the remarkable story that spawned her new nickname. Can you guess? Go ahead. Stowaway. Nice. Port Metro Vancouver handles nearly 150 million tons of cargo from more than 107 trading economies every year. But one shipment sent to an autoglass distributor in central BC was holding something unexpected. For something like this, we don't really have a protocol because it's the first time for us, really. Leaping out of the container, one part stowaway, three parts survivor, packaged in the form of a very skinny cat. Obviously, didn't really have anything to eat or very minimal to eat for, for the duration of the trip. Uh, it's quite dehydrated as well. The tabby's incredible trip started in a 40-foot shipping container out of Shenzhen, China then made the three-week journey first to the port of Vancouver, then up to its final destination, independent glass distributors in Prince George. My staff told me we had a cat uh, coming from China. I was quite surprised. First time for me having an international guest. Despite the distance, this feline was fixated on staying alive. Would you like some of your favorite beverage? Oh, condensation. Yes. Luckily, it seems every cat... 
knows how to stay hydrated in hairy situations. She might be pushing record territory for survival, and if it hadn't been for that little bit of condensation, she probably wouldn't have been able to survive. The SPCA is hoping to raise about $3,000 to cover the care of the cat that's currently in quarantine. She's got quite a road to recovery, but we hope that once she's fully uh, recovered from her ordeal, we'll uh, be able to put her up for adoption. Some have affectionately named her Journey, others calling her Stowaway. Who knows how many of her nine lives she used to get here, but this cat can now call Canada her home. John Hua, Global News. How about this one? Mm-hmm. Puss in boats. Puss in boats. <laughs> that works. Sure. Wow. Well done. Thank you. I know where there's boats. Yes, where Christy Gordon is tonight. Christy. Thanks so much. So we will see increasing cloud overnight. Unfortunately, the rain will push back in, but it'll be fairly light through the morning period and then just a chance of showers tomorrow afternoon. A pretty nice evening out there right now, though, I tell you, the sun is just peeking through the clouds. So if you can try and use this evening, I hope you can do so. A lovely backlight for you down there, Christy. If only we had the same here in the studio. It all looks so glamorous. You look great. Oh, so do you. You're okay, too. Thanks. Thanks for watching, everyone. Not my best day, really. (laughs) It's a coma.